0: Hello there, and welcome to the Presidency Podcast. This is Episode 2, A Family Divided. If you enjoy this episode, please consider supporting me on Patreon, where for the price of a footlong sandwich, you can gain access to members' exclusive episodes. At the time of the posting of this episode, if you support me on Patreon, you should be able to, right now catch the first two episodes on my series that covers the original 13 colonies. Right now, I am covering Virginian colonial history. So, if you have any interest in that or the early colonial history of the original 13 colonies, please consider supporting the show. You will not regret it. Just look up the Presidency Podcast on Patreon, or click the link in the show notes. As of right now, the two episodes I have out for my Patreon supporters are, first the Colony of Roanoke, and second, the early beginnings of the Jamestown Colony. Additionally, if you don't feel like you are interested in the bonus episodes, but you want to support the show, I have added a $1 pledge option if you feel you just want to give us a few bucks. And with that, let's get on with the show. In this episode, I will be discussing George Washington's relationship with his mother, Mary Ball, and also his relationship with his quasi-father figure, Lawrence Washington. This episode may be a bit shorter, as I originally planned for this information to be part of the last episode, but as the last episode dragged on much longer than I originally planned, I had to make this half separately. Leaving off from the narrative from last episode, George lost his father in the first half of 1743, leaving his mother a widow and himself fatherless. We already talked about how Augustine's death spelled the end of George's genteel education and left him really to his own devices. The other main side effect of being fatherless was that he was raised solely by his mother past the age of 11. I already explained how Mary Ball Washington would not relinquish George's inheritance, essentially perpetually making her part of George's life. Perhaps this was a fear of her once again losing an individual that seemed stable in her life, as she was an early widow at the age of 35. Because of his father's early death, George became a man of the house per se. He was forced to perform many adult tasks. However, his newfound abilities to function as an individual beyond his own years most likely never filled the void left from his missing father. Mary Ball was a staunch disciplinarian who ran her household with an iron fist. Prior to marrying Augustine, which she did at the age of 25, old for colonial times actually, she was orphaned young, and due to this she learned how to be self-reliant and independent, an attribute that George clearly picked up though he would most likely never admit to sharing something with his mother. She never remarried after Augustine's death, instead turning all her focus on George, as he became a very possessive passion in her life. As I stated in the first episode, she was the ultimate helicopter mom. Cue the fortunate son. A cousin of George, who he often played with, described Mary Ball Washington in a statement, quote, On the mother, meaning Mary Ball Washington, I was more afraid than my own parents. She awed me in the midst of her kindness, for she was indeed truly kind. Mary Ball was not described to be of maternal wealth, and she was not seen as a gentle mother. Washington never learned to get along with his mother fully, and feelings that he showed her were shallow and a facade at best. He essentially learned to bite his lip and perform his duty as, quote, a loving son, whether or not he meant it. This shows an early stoic mantra from a young Washington as he performed his duty as a son. In his virtue of self-sacrificing, building on the trend that I discussed in the last episode about his education, but virtuous behavior. Evidence for his perpetual cordial behavior with his mother lies in his letters to her. In his letters, he would almost always address her as honored madame and end the letter signing, quote, your dutiful and obedient son, George Washington. This is clear that he viewed their relationship along the lines of a necessary one. George was simply playing the role of a loving son as well as he possibly could. This tone of cordialness just showed the internal anger that Washington showed his mother, and it just made it glaringly clear that he had no real familiar relationship with her. This odd and strenuous relationship with his mother actually made George into the great figure that we know. He learned to bite his lip and curb his tongue around a bitterly agonizing mother. This taught him self-control, which helped build up his stoic character. This likely drove him into learning the mannerisms of a gentleman that he learned in the book, the rules of civility and decent behavior in company and conversation, as we discussed in the last episode. The ironic part about George's apathy towards his mother is that they actually shared quite a few qualities, however, in many different ways. For instance, both Mary Ball and George were very strong-willed, both fighting in life to achieve what they considered greatness, and rising above the social standing that they were born into. However, perseverance and fortitude were where the similarities seemed to end. George disdained his mother, and seemingly vowed to be the exact opposite of everything that she was by nature. His mother was crude and illiterate, so he would read as many books as he could, She was self-centered, so he would sacrifice himself for the new nation. She disdained fancy society. He craved its acceptance. She constantly complained. He never would. She cared not for her parents. George would ensure that there was not a thread out of place. While Mary Ball was a terrible mother, we must thank her. For she made George into the person he would become. And if she had been a tad kinder, Perhaps American history would be a little bit different now. Due to his complex relationship with his mother, George would often stay at the residencies of his two older brother, Lawrence and Augustine Jr. However, he mostly found himself gravitated to his oldest half-brother, Lawrence. Here, he found not only a refuge from his mother, but he found a role model, and one of the most important figures in Washington's life. Lawrence was a perfect role model for a young Washington. He was educated, a country gentleman in the military, and widely respected. Lawrence was the oldest of Augustine's first marriage with Anne Pope. Lawrence was actually 14 years older than George, so the time that he became George's surrogate father, he was 25 and already very successful. Lawrence was a veteran of a little-known conflict known as the War of Jerkin's Ear, It was a seldom known war and is something that I'll most likely cover and post on my members feed. If it is something you're interested in, please let me know. However, this war was a conflict between the Spanish and the British empires. The name of this war refers to a British captain whose ear was cut off while captive by members of the Spanish Coast Guard. The war actually lasted for nine years between 1739 and 1748, and it was simply the Caribbean Front that was part of the greater pan-European wars of the Austrian succession, which will play into the greater conflict of the Seven Years' War, which had the famous campaign of the French and Indian War, that a young George Washington will play a role in. Lawrence was part of an amphibious force that was enlisted of colonial subjects. I mean, this makes a lot of sense. The provincial members of the British Empire were seen as lesser to that of the British metropole, not being tainted by a lowly American birth. This snobbery will be something that Lawrence Washington expresses and later relays to his younger brother. Lawrence would become the captain of the Virginia Company in the Colonial Battalion. And this idea of using Colonial soldiers as an amphibious force makes sense, but in a sad way. As the British Empire wanted to keep what they saw as the cream of their crop nice and protected in their ships, while the Colonial subjects are made to storm the beaches. And it is just as bad as you think. Not quite as bloody as D-Day, but in its own right, it was terrible. They lacked modern military equipment, such as the armored amphibious assault vehicles that protected the troops. Instead, they would row small boats from the main ship onto the shore, hoping one of the 15-pound cannonballs does not take off their arm, let alone put a hole in the bottom of their boat. The battle where Lawrence saw action was a British attack on the Spanish port city of Cartagena which lies in modern-day Colombia. The leader of the assault on the Spanish position was an admiral named Edward Vernon, who is famously not known for anything in his life except being the namesake of Mount Vernon. This assault on the port city was an extremely bloody affair. However, more men died from tropical diseases rather than musket or cannon shot. Lawrence himself never made it off his ship, as he and the rest of his company were suffering from yellow fever. Lawrence himself later remarked on his time during the battle, quote, The enemy killed some six hundred, and the climate killed us in greater number. A great quantity of officers amongst the rest are dead. War is horrid, in fact, much more so in imagination. Lawrence took the hell he endured in the Caribbean while serving in the British force as well, all things considered. He stated about the time of his war, quote, We there have learned to live on an ordinary diet, to watch much, and disregard the noise of cannon shot. Lawrence's career in the military would drastically impact a young George Washington. His genteel and military status gave George a goal in life and a status he himself wanted to achieve. And man, did George love that spiffy red uniform that Lawrence wore. This fresh-pressed and tidy uniform of Lawrence mostly began George's lifelong love for military attire and garb. On top of the affection for the British military uniform, Lawrence also shared his experience in dealing with the British officers while being a colonial soldier. In particular, Lawrence was upset with one Brigadier General, Thomas Wentworth, who openly thought the colonial and other provincial troops were lesser, and he was the one who ordered to leave the Virginia Regiment aboard the ships, no doubt leading them to suffer from the various tropical diseases which they contracted. This snobbery from British officers was a major problem for the colonial subjects, and something that George himself would learn to loathe. Once Lawrence returned from his tour in the Caribbean, he settled in in a role managing some of his father Augustine Washington's estates, prior to his death of course. The main property that Lawrence would oversee and manage would be that of Little Hunting Creek. If you remember from the last episode, this is George's original childhood home before they moved to Ferry Farm. Here, Lawrence controlled the accounts and assets of the plantation. He also inherited the property once Augustine died, and additionally he received the Washington-owned iron mine, which was the real source of the early wealth for the family. This is when Lawrence renamed Little Hunting Creek Plantation to Mount Vernon in honor of his direct admiral while he served in the British Navy. He hung a portrait of the admiral up in the great room of the plantation mansion in honor of the home's new namesake. And that's how the name of some random British naval officer became the name of THE Founding Father's Home. Quite ironic, really, that a British admiral's name became the home of the bane of the British control in the colonies. Lawrence became very successful, and had a bountiful career as a Virginian noble. This sent a standard and a path that a young Washington could easily trace and follow down in the future. Lawrence became a member of the Virginian House of Burgesses, essentially what is representative colonial government of the colony of Virginia he was promoted to Adjunct General of the Militia and gave him the rank of Major in the Colonial Militia, as it became his duty to train the local Virginian troops. Lawrence also received a Royal Commission, a status George himself never received and must have helped fuel the fire of being felt as second class to the British military officers. As you can see, Lawrence played a huge role in the young George's life. He was everything that Washington wanted to be, but as we have already seen, Lawrence had gotten much more opportunity than George ever would. Lawrence would become George's new father figure and help give him dreams of one day being a member of that Virginian elite such as his brother. Without the strong mentoring presence that Lawrence was for George, Washington most likely would not have become the great statesman that he was. Washington would eventually emulate Lawrence with most of the same accomplishments. However, the lack of a classical education would be the one thing that he would never recover. If you are interested in learning more about Washington's education, or rather the lack thereof, please check out the episode before this one that covers Washington's education. In regards to the impact that Lawrence made on Washington, one historian stated For the enlargement of George's mind and the polishing of his manner, Lawrence was almost the ideal elder brother. Lawrence fired George's ambitions and moved him strongly toward a military career. With his apathetic relationship with his mother, George would find sanctuary at Mount Vernon. Lawrence will play a larger role in progressing George's career than he would ever think, but this would mostly have to do with the family that he would marry into, and that family would be the Fairfax family. I am sure you have heard of this well-known English and later Virginian noble family, and it will be the members of the Fairfax family who will take a liking to a blossoming George and who will explode his potential. But that will have to wait until next time in episode 3, the Fairfax Connection. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Presidency Podcast. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm very thankful for you choosing to listen to mine. If you do want more of the Presidency Podcast content while you're waiting for the next episode, consider supporting the show on Patreon, where you can get immediate access to two bonus episodes. The first covers the Colony of Roanoke, and the second covers the beginnings of Jamestown. Additionally, I have a promotion running that if you support me on Patreon, For at least three months in a row, you will receive a three presidency podcast sticker. So if you're interested in the additional episode or maybe just want that sticker, check us out on Patreon. There will be a link in the show notes or just search The Presidency Podcast on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter for The Prespod and Instagram and Facebook at The Presidency Podcast for updates and more info. You can also reach me with comments or concerns at my email at presidencypodcast.gmail.com. And with that, hail to the chief.